Welcome to the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden. So glad you could join me. We are uh, continuing our uh, foray to Minneapolis, St. Paul, Minnesota. The interviews I did at uh, the recent Pheasant Fest uh, continue to fascinate me. We covered a whole gamut of uh, subjects, and this week, no exception, you will enjoy learning more from Russ Kelly. He's uh, the scientist that is behind much of the Yukonuba dog food formulations. The guy knows his stuff. He's a dog man. He's a bird hunter. We'll talk about performance, nutrition, feeding routine, and maybe a few other things in there as well. Our Handlet segment this week is all about the other times of the day uh, when you might do a little training for cerebral edification of your dog. I'll get into that in detail. We'll talk to you via the uh, social media and find out what your training goals are for the off-season, and I'll share <laughs> share the most important one of mine. It's all made possible by Sage and Breaker Gun Care Products, Pointer Shotguns, Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School, Trulock Choke Tubes, MidwayUSA.com, and my new public access webinar, so I'll talk a little bit more about that down the road, but you can learn more at findbirdhuntingspots.com. Well, you heard about Flick's encounter with that uh, barbed wire fence a while back, and um, the stitches are out. He's doing fine. We're getting some exercise now. We are not up to speed, literally or figuratively. He is as out of shape as I am after so many uh, days on the road and his uh, layoff in, uh, you know, in recuperating. But we're getting back to it, and one of the things we're working on very, very intently right now is the whole idea of steadiness, particularly response to the "woe" command. Yeah, that is a an obedience command. You know, you talk to enough pro trainers who understand dogs. And yes, the scent cone creates a point, which is an instinctive response. But once that is done, obedience is the key to that dog holding a point or just standing still on furry critters. Yeah. Yeah, he was chasing a rabbit when he caught that wire fence in the chest and the front legs. And uh, knock wood, everything came out okay. But I'd rather not go through it again. And thank you all for your vest recommendations, by the way. So that's what we're working on these days. And we, we do have a few furry critters to work with. Yeah, you know, you work on a bird dog with birds. You work on a bird dog that likes furry critters with the cats that are already in the house. So far, so good. How about you? You know, you take a look at what you guys are working on for the season, or the off-season, if you will. Um, and I'm always in, interested in that sort of thing. Um, Lance Larson is working to be steady to fall and release. I get it. We're, we're in the same boat, Lance. John Salfisberg is working on the retrieve. <clears throat> Don, God bless you. You're working on improving your health, and I hope you do, because I'd love to get back together with you, whether it's in Kansas or South Dakota. Maybe we can ride some of those big horses of yours. Randy Karst, steady on point until release, and then backing. Steve Selvig, retrieving and steady to wing. 
<laughs> Dick Martinson says he's working on his shooting. Well, aren't we all? All right. Uh, Matthew George, much the same, looking for a shotgun instructor. And uh, Travis Power says he's got two veteran dogs to keep them in shape and let them roll. They are good-looking dogs, too, by the way. Too bad it was winter when you took that picture. You've got yourself an Irish setter. Beautiful, nice field coat on that Irish, by the way. And then a beautiful, I think you guys call it um, orange uh I'll call it spotted uh, English setter. Good-looking dog. Keep up the good work, everybody. We've all got something to work on. We might do something fun with that down the road. We're brought to you in part by Pointer Shotguns. Uh, like I said, uh, all of these uh, Pheasant Fest uh, interviews took place at the Pointer Shotguns booth. And uh, boy, it was kind of fun because, you know, we're sitting there talking and people are coming in, they're grabbing those new side-by-sides in particular and playing with them, looking at all the other guns available there. And the thing that came to mind all the time when I talked with people after an interview, for example, was how affordable they are, how many great entry-level guns they have there, including the new side-by-sides in 12 and 20 gauge. And now, on top of everything else, hold everything case coloring available on the receivers on those side-by-sides. So get a good long look at them at pointershotguns.com, find a nearby retailer, and then get out there and welcome to the, the world of new shotguns. And we're also brought to you in part by sageandbreaker.com, gun cleaning and care equipment and accoutrement, as they say. All the stuff you need to take good care of your shotgun and a new range bag just about ready. Now, if you want to get first dibs at that new range bag, heirloom quality, then sign up for the mailing list at sageandbreaker.com. Uh, I, I want to say welcome back to the floor of the National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic here in Minneapolis, where we're doing a lot of great podcast interviews, including this one, which I'm looking forward to for a lot of reasons. Russ Kelly, you're with Yukonuba. What's your title over there again? Scientific Services Manager. I'm with the Scientific Service Group, which is really the technical support for the North American Pro Team. North American Protein, which ought to be the name of a heavy metal band, by the way. <laughs> uh, so, so I can ask you all sorts of questions about chemistry and biology and bird dogs. Absolutely. Let's talk first about dogs. What are you running these days? So I have a uh, I have an old Llewellyn that that's I'm going to say is retired, uh-huh. but uh, I still got her out last year for a few days and. And uh, if she's still around this fall, I'll get her out on some easy hunt. She's 16. Oh wow! Yeah, but uh, she still loves to get out, and uh, as long as the you know the ground's easy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then I have a a little German short hair that I brought home from work. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if he's going to be a bird dog. He's certainly athletic, uh, and he's a he's a really wonderful dog but i don't know if he's going to be a bird dog yet you know in terms of that we're working on him okay so just for all of us who we agonize over those questions all the time too what's going to tell you whether he's a bird dog or not yeah so i think in terms of my you know and i've had i've had pointing dogs for 
I'm going to say, I'll say 50 years. I got my first two when I was nine, and that, I had a period of time where I was lab, lab exclusive. But for the most part, I've, I've had pointing dogs for a long time. And, you know, I never really worried about what somebody else thought about my dogs. I wanted a dog to satisfy me and hunt in, in the same sort of grounds that I hunt in. And, uh, and satisfied me. I want a dog that, that basically has a good communication with me, listens to me, um, you know, basically is responsive in terms of, of, you know, getting out in the field, finding finding birds and holding. And, uh, you know, I don't really, you know, I'm going to say I've never really worried about if somebody liked the way they looked or yeah. the way they set up. Uh, it was really about in terms of, of being a good dog in the field and being a better dog when I brought them home in terms of interacting with the family. And those are, you know, those are special dogs that we don't, we don't find that often, um, but we certainly remember the ones that we've had. Absolutely. And we were talking off mic before we started here about a guy who's just come into the short hair world right. from the lab world. And uh, he's already seeing the spark in that dog's eye, 11-month-old uh, short hair. The dog is watching, is learning. I, you know, it, it's just great to hear stories like that. But it's also great to hear about 16-year-old dogs that are still doing it. Maybe slower right. yep. and lower and for a little bit less time. But how do you keep a dog in condition and healthy enough right. to, to hunt at age 16? Yeah, and, and in terms of that, I'm going to, you know, every dog's, every dog's going to be an individual. Yeah. Um, you know, I try to... I try to work my dogs just about all year long in terms of conditioning. Not, you know, certainly when it gets hot, those days, you know, we get out earlier or later. Uh, the, the work sessions are shorter, um, but but you know, keeping them in good shape, keeping them good uh, in terms of a good weight, uh, is really important for the longevity of a dog. You know, it doesn't mean that we're going to get to keep every one of them to, to 16, uh, but certainly when we find those great dogs. We want them around as long as as physically possible to enjoy and uh, you know basically just spend time with us and and uh, you know with my my, my old dog Moxie uh, she's you know she's such a natural she's always been a natural natural hunter and uh, you know what I do now with her is just find those those easy easier grounds so she's yeah. not having to trump up and down you know, steep hills and over rocks and things of that nature, but uh, she still likes to go out and, and find a bird, and uh, and I enjoy watching her do it. I, I, I can only imagine. My dogs have never been with me that long, but their last year is always maybe one of their best years in terms of that sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. You know, uh, we're going to talk nutrition, of course, with you at Yukonuba and everything, um, but before we do, let's talk a little bit about that conditioning thing. As a, as a scientist who's particularly focused on dog performance, what are the things that we can, we all know you can rode a dog, uh, whether it's uh, alongside your bike or right. in front of your horse or whatever. What other things besides simply putting in some miles should we be doing? Well, I mean, I think certainly from a, from a health standpoint, um, you know, and I start when when I get a puppy. One of the first things I really work with them at is is basically drinking uh, from a bottle of, out, out of my yeah, hand, right? Yeah. In terms, of, I want them. I want those. You know, we can train that to them really early. Yeah. I use those little twenty ounce water bottles that have the nipple. Sure. I keep a couple of them in my game bag, and uh, I really call those dogs in 
and you know have them where they freely take water from that from that bottle and i do that from a, a standpoint that it when i'm out there and uh, the dogs are really starting to heat up i want them to, to be able to call them in get some water in them and for two reasons one is just straight hydration yeah uh, the second and we've all seen it when that when their saliva starts to get really thick oh right yeah and uh in terms of that most of the heat dissipation that the dog does is through respiration and out of their mouth right and when they get that really sticky saliva it's sort of forming like an insulation layer so we bring them you know just bring them in and just give them a little bit of water to wash that out and that that basically eases up some of the the pathway for that heat to dissipate and, and allow those dogs to continue on and uh you know certainly from uh you know, let's just say individuals that are going to con- take up conditioning their dog all year long, you know, certainly heat-related illnesses or, yeah. you know, heat stress. This is going to occur in, in dogs. Dogs get hyperthermia when they're out working, and, uh, you know, it's really up to us. They have the hearts, you know, that just keep going and going and going, and it is really up for us to properly manage those dogs and keep them healthy. And uh, part of that is... You know, basically getting up early if it's going to be hot, yeah, getting yeah. out there, getting your work in early, uh, but certainly hydration in terms of that. We'll talk a little bit about hydration when we get into to nutrition. But, uh, you know, a lot of people don't recognize that water is one of the one of the nutrient classes and it's the, the largest nutrient requirement that the dog has. Whether you're looking at it on a volume or a weight basis, it doesn't really matter. On a day-to-day basis, the water is the number one nutrient requirement for the dog, and it's and it's up to us to make sure that they're drinking well and staying hydrated out there in the field to stay healthy. You know, I I, I want to dwell on this one because I I'm, I'm kind of fanatic about it, and I apologize. Some people have heard this way more often than they need to, but. I have a lot of trouble. Luckily, my dog will take water all day, and he does it the same way you do. But at the end of the day, I'm working on uh, muscle cell restoration, um, trying to get him to take in water right at the end of the hunt right. with dextrose in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can't get him to drink that stuff. Help me, help me bait him, l- literally in your, your, your term of art, right. into getting some water in him right at the end of the day. Yeah. So in terms of in terms of that, when they're uh, you know when they're coming in out of the field, a lot of times they are really I'm going to say really elevated in terms of body temp, and they may not want to drink yeah. it. It's really you know they're just looking for somewhere or shade to, to lay down in and mm-hmm. pant. Uh, and we really are uh, I'm going to say if you're you're practicing the the glycogen recovery, uh, you know it's it's time critical in terms of getting getting that into the into the dog. Um, you know, I think in terms of one of the one of the things that we can do is, um, you know, we can apply some. I'm going to say, take like uh, micro micro cloth towels. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Wet those. Yeah. You know. Yep. Uh, moisten their legs, moisten their underarms, moisten their abdomen. Uh, try to get that to them to cool down a little bit. You know, quicker. Okay. And then maybe ten minutes. Oh. Right. And then I maybe 10 that. minutes we yeah. can we can get them to drink well. I had and, a, uh, a champion in the NAVDA world say he puts shamwows in the bottom of his ice chest. Right. That holds enough water. You wrap that around the dog. I never thought yeah. about cooling a dog off, though, so that it will then drink. Right. And, and it, yeah, it's an individual thing. And, and, and uh, you know, in terms of, I'm going to say, in terms of that practice of using iced, 
ice material. Yeah. Uh, certainly, if we've got a dog that's overheated, uh, we want to do whatever it takes to, to get the heat out of those dogs. But, uh, you know, me personally, I don't like applying really, really cold, cold. Yeah. rags to the, to the dog. Um, you know, if you just take like a gallon Ziploc bag, yeah. right, and just take some Microsoft cloths, mm-hmm. just mo- uh, moisten those, put them in the Ziploc bag, zip that up, and just have that with you, you can pull those out, and there's still moisture uh, associated with that that you can just apply to the, to the legs, the abdomen, the ears, yeah. uh, and, and uh, sort of keep, you Bell- know. Belly? Belly, yeah. yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and in terms of that, if we think about what the, you know, in terms of when we look at it using a thermal camera, yeah. right? Yeah. When those dogs are out working there, they are really pushing a lot of blood into their, you know, into their uh, ears, their legs, uh, getting it close to the surface uh, in terms of that because they don't sweat the way we do, right? right? They're, they do have a small amount of, 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 of sweat glands on their, on their pads, but it's really, uh, I'm going to say, an ineffective manner. Uh, so they do a lot of cooling through respiration, not so much in terms of evaporation. Yeah. Uh, but we can apply a little bit of moisture to their, to their legs and abdomen, ears, and that will enhance the evaporative cooling uh, on the dog. And it doesn't take, have to be cold water, right? right. It's just moisture. Yeah, you, you, you use the key word, scientist, evaporative, uh, because that's what we're doing is we're getting a lo- the moisture. And when the moisture dries, in effect, that's the cooling action, right? right? A- absolutely, yeah. Yeah, well, I love that, and I will try that. Um, if I was going to bait the water, I know I'm obsessive about this. What? I apologize, everybody. If I'm going to bait the water with anything after that, have you got a trick for yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, in ter- certainly if you take like a, a – uh, a wet food, a canned, yeah, yeah. canned food, or a uh, or a really super moist uh, mousse, uh, and we can you can take a spoon and drop yeah. that into the bottom yeah. of a, a bucket. Now we don't want to, yeah. you know, a bucket that's three gallons, yeah. uh, but a you know a small gallon a bucket and drop a. There, most of the time, most dogs they will drink water in order to try to reach down and get that. They can smell it, right? And uh, it, it's very appetizing to them. Oh, and yeah. they will, a lot of times they will drink water to try to ro- lo- yeah. lower the water amount where they can reach down and snag that out of the, out of the bucket. So that's a, that's a, we, we do call that water baiting. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and then the other, the other thing we can do if we have dogs that, let's just say they don't, they're not good drinkers, right? We can do what we call a feed float. So uh, with that, now this is not soaking feed. Right. So this is basically if we're going to feed in the evening um, and we're going to feed, you know, two cups of food, uh, it's just simply add two cups of water to that right before we present it to the, do- to the dog. Yeah. And, uh, and, and the, the, you know, the dogs, most of the time, they will drink that water uh, as they're eating. Yes. And, uh, and, uh, and I think the other thing, too, when we, when, as we're talking about uh, water, is really – in terms of, of just keeping up with, like, what your dog's drinking, yeah. right? And if, yeah. and if you're traveling or something like that, you say, oh, how am I going to keep up with that? Well, you know what? If you, if you just take along a, a, a milk jug, gallon milk jug that you've cleaned up really well, and you basically are, are just utilizing the water out of that milk jug, you know how much your dog's drinking. You know how much you, when you refill it. And, you know, we're not asking for our shouldn't have to be down to the millimeter, right? But we have a good idea of really how much water is that dog drinking and am I doing a good job of keeping it hydrated? Because yeah. when we talk about, you know, I'm going to say under under fairly challenging conditions, 
you know, we're talking about a 50-pound dog, you know, using a, a gallon and a half of water a day. And, and, uh, and, and if we've, we've got that dog and we know we're working it pretty hard and it's only drinking half of that, well, we know we're, not, we're likely not doing a good job of keeping that dog hydrated. Yeah, and if you're on a two-, three-, four-day hunt, uh, that, that's, a, that's right. a 50% deficit over yeah. all that yeah, and time. It, wow. and, it, and you won't see, uh, you likely will not see an impact that first day, yeah. and you may not see it the second. But that third day, yeah. and you, you sit there and you think, well, what's wrong with, what, what's wrong with him today? And, uh, you know, in terms of that, you had him in what you thought was really good condition coming into that, and now you're traveling and you know maybe he's a uh, you know just off a little bit and it, it could be that he's just you know simply not hydrating well yeah. so therefore his system is is sort of the days are starting to catch up with him oh yeah that's russ kelly he's scientific services manager with you canuba i'm scott linden this is the upland nation podcast we're on the floor of pheasant fest in the quail classic yeah it's over but i hope you're getting some of the vibe from this place the crowd is incredible it's a Saturday morning here, and there are people crowding all the booths and aisles. But that's what we're talking about today is nutrition and performance. And, Russ, uh, before we get to the break, let's start that discussion. Uh, let's start with the key ingredient. I shouldn't say ingredients. I should say key nutritive components right. of a good dog food. Uh, so it, in terms of that, you know, and I'm going to just basically say when you watch you know the advertisements right what are the what are the ones that they focus it on is is like protein level yeah fat level right and in terms of, of when i look at when i approach it i look at it from a nutritional standpoint and protein fat those are nutritional classes they're not nutrients right and we have six we have six nutrient classes uh water protein carbohydrates fats vitamins and minerals Okay. And all of those, we cannot, you know, and I use this in, in my lectures, I point out that we cannot have optimal health or performance without the proper balance of all nutrient classes. And, and with that comes a lot of nutrients. In terms of that, we, we tend to, to lump those in to a, to a category of this class, uh, such as protein, right? Yeah. But if we, in a true sense, dogs don't have protein requirements they have amino acid requirements which are the the components that make up protein so these all of these proteins are assembled from individual amino acids and uh, within the structural there's a a, you know let's say say 22 amino acids and and then we have the essentials and and essentials a lot of people will say oh those that's just a required amino acid okay they're all required right Uh The essentials are the ones that we have to provide via the diet. Okay. So in terms of that, either the, the dog's body uh, cannot, well, he can't make them, or he can't make them in a sufficient amount to, to meet their needs. So we have to provide those via the diet. But when we look at from a from a you know a protein standpoint, it is really, I mean, it's, I, I don't want to say it's misleading, but it, it it doesn't provide a lot of information. We can have a a 40% protein diet, and if it's really poor protein mm-hmm. sources, mm-hmm. or it has a, a very lopsided amino acid profile, we can have dogs that have pro- protein deficiencies, even though they're eating a food that's 40% protein. So, so, we, so we, we look at the guaranteed analysis, we look at the ingredient list, which every package has to have on right? it. 
that's not going to tell us any of that, is it? It, it does not, right? Yeah. I mean, in terms of that, it is a very, uh, let's just say, very elementary information. Yeah. But it is really not that informative uh, in, in terms of that. And, and when we look at it, or I'm going to say as a physiologist, when I look at it, I don't really get that hung up on the ingredient deck because I know that, you know, in terms of, of you know, something that's utilizing chicken, right? That can mean a, there's lots of materials that are labeled chicken. Yeah. And some are very good and some are not. And, uh, you know, with that, it, it's one of those I, I encourage people to really, you know, once they identify a food that they want to utilize, right, reach out to that company and try to get as much information from them. as They have, I can guarantee you, they, they have or should have more yeah. information than, than what's on that bag. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and if they're not willing to, you know, they're not willing to give you the information you want, you have to maybe ask, is that the company I want to do business with? You know, uh, we had a real-life example of that several months ago with somebody, not us. But they, that, that's exactly what happened. This company would not cooperate. Right. And I said to that person, what does that say? Right. And sure enough, they switched. So... Yeah, it's in, in terms of that, when we look at, at really trying to, you know, feed feed these performance dogs, right? They certainly have they have elevated nutritional requirements compared to, to the pet population, yeah. right? And if we think about from a, a protein standpoint, and, we're, and really again, we're we're really focusing in on what amino acids are we providing to that dog, um, but you know. When we think about where where is those those amino acids going, uh, we think about from a, a standpoint of, of certainly when they're when they're exercising, we think energy, right? But we really should be focusing in on fat for energy, right? And the and the and the amino acids we really want to support the structural tissues. Yeah. And if we look at that, we think about the the internal organs, the the skeletal muscle, and one thing is the the skin and coat. Yes. Right? So about you know up to depending upon the breed, anywhere from thirty to thirty-five percent of the amino acids that the dog consumes is intended to support the skin and coat. I wish it had supported my dog's skin and coat a little bit better a couple of weeks ago, but that's another story for right. another yeah. time. Yeah. That's Russ Kelly. I'm Scott Linden. This is the Upland Nation podcast. We'll talk more dog nutrition and how it relates to performance right after this. And we've also got the Handle It segment where I'm going to be talking about the cerebral challenges we can pose to our dog, even when the weather's crappy or the um, sun is not out, or it's the off-season, but mainly those two times. It'll be coming up in just a moment. More from Russ Kelly of Yukonuba as well. First off, a word from MidwayUSA.com. You know, they carry just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors. And uh, if you need a dummy launcher, a new pair of boots, uh, ammo, yahoo, they got lots of it, uh, then uh, check them out at MidwayUSA.com. They've assigned me a long list of video topics, and I'm also writing articles on other topics. So if you are looking for stuff you can't find anywhere else, and that's my goal there, then uh, come visit us all at MidwayUSA.com. 
And once you've watched those videos, I invite you to take a look at my new webinar on public access. Yeah, I took 32 years of experience in 26 states looking for good places to hunt that are free and accessible to you and me and everybody else. I've compiled those into 107 tips on how to get the best out of every public access hunting trip you take. Learn more by just stopping in at the website findbirdhuntingspots.com. Welcome back to the floor of Pheasant Fest and the Quail Classic put on, of course, by Pheasants Forever. We're here in Minneapolis this year, and boy, oh boy, what a crowd. I, you know, I, I had to go to the boys' room before we talked, and it took me a while to get back because the, the crowds are so thick. You it's cannot great, you know, walk fast. It's great to see it, isn't it? Yeah, and you're an exhibitor here, too, so you're seeing it from the other side of the desk. It's a, the, the vibe, the, the positivity is incredible out here. Um, Russ Kelly, we're talking nutrition and let's talk performance. The amino acid thing just blew my mind. I never thought about that. I'm just a music major, so I, I don't get that stuff. But knowing how important that is is critical, and I'm glad to hear it. Um, let's talk about the fat thing because I'm, I'm kind of obsessed on that too. Water earlier, fat now. Um, we need a certain amount of fat in the dog's diet, daily diet. Uh, component of their regular food um, and then we could we supplement that during a hunt to have an effect that uh, to have a positive effect on a dog's performance yeah I, th I think when in terms of uh and when we're out in the when we're out in the field you know i'm going to say supplementation can be a tricky yeah it can be a tricky yeah tricky approach uh right i mean i certainly don't uh i'm not a big advocate of of trying to take a inadequate food and add on to it to to get to a, the diet i want i would rather try to identify that food that's designed at at uh i'm going to say designed with regard to the nutrient content yeah in, in terms of like our our uh, pr premium performance portfolio you know, we offer four adult formulas that that vary in protein and, and and fat content, and we do that with the with the understanding of we want to basically identify what energy level your dog needs yeah. based on its activity level, and then sort of shuttle in to, to find the right formula for that dog. Because when yeah. we start yeah. adding on, we can't add anything or take something away without alter, altering the nutritional balance. Yeah, that's yeah. that's gone uh, going on. I mean, if we think about Scott, you know, I, I want to point out, like on the the back of every package is a feeding guideline. Yeah, right. And a lot of people just dismiss those. They said, "Oh, that just says suggested feeding guidelines. It, it doesn't have." You know what? Those those guidelines have meaning because when we design a food, we look at it and say for for a dog of this weight and this activity, um, when we start looking at all of the nutrients, not just not just the big nutrient classes, but all the individual nutrients, we have a, a, an idea of how much a dog of this weight needs of these set of, of nutrients, right? And so we design that food to meet those needs. And if we sit there and we say, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm not really working my dog very hard. 
but I want the I want the highest energy density food I can find and and we've got this you know 50 pound dog that's eating one cup of food a day it should be eating three there's likely because we're only feeding two-thirds or one-third of, of the recommended amount we probably are uh, we may be meeting its energy needs but we could be very deficient in a lot of different nutrients and it may take a while for those to show up yeah yeah um, but, but in terms of those I always recommend it in, in terms of selecting a food that the dog should be consuming at least 75% of the recommended allowance and no more than 150% okay. on All the right. top side. Right. And, if, and if we're outside of that range, we probably either need to go to a lower energy density food or go to a higher energy density mm-hmm. food, depending on which side of that equation you're on. Well, that's very useful information. We, never, we do. We blow off the recommended guidelines right. when it comes to quantity. What about during the day itself? Now, I've, you know, I have wire hairs. I have to be careful about bloat. Right. We've talked about that in the past. But we want sometimes to give a dog a little something right. during the day. Most of the time it's because we feel bad. Uh, there's no, the, it's psychological. Right. But sometimes if you're on a long chucker hunt, uh, you do want a dog to have you know, the equivalent of a power bar. Right. And I know it's not the stuff that's in a power bar. I know it's, but is it fat and can, will it have an effect on that day? Well, certainly, I, I mean, in terms of, of I'm going to say from an ideal standpoint, right, uh, you know, in terms of if, if you can get up or willing to get up early enough and, and uh, <laughs> uh, you know, give your dog a, a really, a, I'm going to say just a small snack in the morning. Way right. before. Way before. Yeah. Couple, you know, a couple hours. Okay. Um, but, you know, let's just st- let's take that dog that's eating three cups of, yeah. of food a day. You know, maybe a half a cup maybe three quarters yeah. of a cup, no more than one, Yeah. right? Um, the other other option that you can have is to, to put that, you know, I'm going to say put that one cup of food in your pocket in a, yeah. in a little Ziploc bag, and, and uh, you know, every, every two hours you're giving it about a third of, third yeah. of that. And, it, and it's really one of those things where certainly from, a, from an energy standpoint, the physical energy, uh, the dog has got some reserves, yeah. right? It, yeah. it, can, it can get there. Uh, but where I worry about in terms of, uh, particularly with the upland dogs, is we are asking them to do a lot of mental processing in, in terms of, of what, you know, in terms oh, yeah. of their, their communication with us, uh, in terms of evaluating the wind, in terms of where they're picking the scent up. There is a lot of mental processing that takes place. And with that it's you know i'm going to i'm going to use a human analogy here you know we probably would not likely send our kids off to school without if they were if they had a big test uh without giving them something right yeah. and uh and in terms of in terms of that that's really the 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 neurological tissue is almost exclusively dependent upon glucose and uh so i really like in terms of of particularly the the upland dogs that are doing a lot of mental processing I like for them to have something, and, yeah. and uh, you know, I, I I try to do with my dogs. I try to get up and, and get a really really small meal in them a couple of hours before we go out to work. If that's not gonna you know if that's not gonna work, depending upon where I'm at, uh, I will put a, a you know a little bit of food in my yeah. po- pocket, and in every couple of hours, I'm just giving them a little bit of yeah of something, and it's really with the intent of of providing. 
you know, a little bit of energy via the, the fat in the food and then uh, some glucose via the starches. I'm slapping my forehead literally because I'd never thought about the mental aspect of that. Thank you. That's, that's Russ Kelly. He's with Yukonubi's a scientific services manager. I'm Scott Linden. I know nothing about science, but you already knew that. <laughs> and this is the Upland Nation podcast. Uh, years ago, I was writing for somebody else, and I was writing about humans and how if you, you know, everybody uh, says, oh, in the middle of the day, you want simple carbohydrates, instant energy, suck on hard candy, eat a chocolate bar, blah, blah. And I learned then that a, a more balanced something with protein, carbohydrates, and fat made sense to humans. You're starting to tell me it makes sense for dogs, too. Oh, ab- yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I mean, in terms of, uh, you know, one of the, I'm going to say back in the, you know, I'm going to say back in the day, you know, uh, you know, people when carbo loading first started yeah, coming yeah, out yeah. in terms of of the uh, humans, you know, people thought, oh, that's what I should do with my dog, right? And, and we found out that they don't they don't work the same way. Um, you know, in terms of the the dog is a, I mean, to say he is an absolute phenomenal physiological creation uh, in terms of. Cap- far more capable of work than what we are. I, and I, I get, periodically I'll get a call from somebody that wants to do an ultra marathon and they're like, well, you know, what do I need to do special in terms of feeding for my dog? And, and you know, and it's, it's one of those, you don't wanna, you don't wanna underplay the fact of a dog running a hundred miles, but compared, their ability to run that hundred miles compared to us is like, a, it, it is like a walk in the park. Yeah. Right, in terms of, of but it is one of those where we have to condition them up to that. And uh, so it's really one of those where we have to figure out how do we, how do we condition that dog enough uh, to, to run that with us yeah. and, uh, and then maintain, maintain weight. And really weight is one of those things that we can, we can see very quickly, uh, are we doing a good job or not? And uh, I like to, you know, I like to put my hands on my dogs every time I come back in from a, from a, a day out. And, and I do that from a, a standpoint. One, I, it's, a, it's a way for me to sort of keep up with their body condition score. Sure. But it also will give me an idea, have they tweaked something that day? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And uh, they're, you know, a little tender, something like that, I, you know, may trigger up. I better you know, give it a couple of days rest and, and keep an eye on that. Uh, but that's one thing that, that you know, People, people need to put their hands on their dogs and, and sort of evaluate, watch. You know, they, don't, they may not weigh them. They may not have a scale to weigh them on, but they can put their hands and, uh, you know, just utilizing what we call a hands method in terms of body condition score, uh, you know, basically putting their hands and, and evaluating the, the fat the, or the coverage on their rib cage. Yeah. Gives us a good idea in terms of, of is that dog in good shape or not. And, and uh, certainly we see... You know, we see dogs that, that uh, in this country, we see far few of them that are under yeah. uh, in thin body condition as we do over. And, and certainly, you know, certainly in, in, to, in today's world where we have a lot of people that, that have these dogs that are serving as, as our companions in the house and then going out in the field, uh, a lot of them tend to, to get more snacks than what they ideally need. And, but we'd have to be really careful in terms of about, you know, we talked about heat earlier, right? Uh, certainly those dogs that are overweight, they are at a higher risk for, for a heat-related injury. And, uh, 
and it's and it's one of those where ideal body condition it is it's going to be good for us because the dog's going to be able to hold up better it's going to have uh or be at a lower risk for to getting an injury uh and at the same time it's it's going to be helpful to the dog they're yeah. going to they're going to perform better and uh it's one of those where just keeping an eye on the on the weight of the dog making sure it's in good physical shape and uh and and with that are we feeding the right amount of food that we're you know that that is designed for that dog you uh yesterday we were just shooting the stuff and uh talking about a f- f- french bulldog and yeah. w- whether he was fat or not and and i said stand over it see if you can find his waist then you used the fist analogy right, right. which yeah. i think is so helpful i mean if depending on whether you're cooking a steak right. or you're trying to figure out what condition your dog is in right. go through that again with so me. so basically what i'm, I'm going to describe is I've, I've got my hand and I've, I've sort of got it laying flat and and if you run your hands across the top of your knuckles you're not going to feel very much and then as you start to tighten that that fist up you start to to and you start to feel the the knuckles protrude and what we're looking for is really kind of a loose a loose hand on the ribs on the ribs so we're doing this but now we're going to do it on our dog's right. ribs yeah so basically what I, I do is i like to I, I basically put the dog's head i sort of stand behind it and reach down yeah and starting at the shoulders and then working yeah. my way down that rib cage yep and what we're looking for is kind of a loose hand uh, not a tight fist and not an open hand. In yeah. terms of open hand, uh, the dog's probably a little bit overweight. If we certainly have, they feel like a tight fist, uh, that dog's probably a too thin. Yeah, yeah. There's no, there's no fat. Yeah, it has no there. reserves. Yeah, very few reserves. And you know, let's just end on this note because the reserves is something I, I'm really learning more about. When a dog doesn't have enough fat either already on their body or in their diet, ideally both, then at some point for energy on a hunt, they're sucking that out of what? So, uh, yeah, in terms of, of almost every day we take the dogs out, there is going to be some, some degree of muscle breakdown. Um, and the lower their reserves, the more likelihood that that breakdown becomes greater yeah um and you know we what we're probably going to see at 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 first is just the dog is is starting to have a tougher time holding weight uh but eventually we're going to see the endurance of that dog start to play down and uh it won't have as much drive certainly you won't notice it when you turn when you first turn them loose because they you know these dogs they love they love it right and they have a, a high drive right out of the out of the box but uh you know when these dogs are really starting to become questionable with regard to their nutritional profile uh you know maybe after 30 minutes they're starting to to come down yeah. and and uh, maybe at lunch by lunch they're done yeah and it, you know we all know when a dog is getting worn out but are there subtle signs that we could catch earlier in a in a day so that we could actually be proactive? Well, if we, I mean, if we look at like sort of a, and if if we try to very crudely talk about like an amino acid prioritization, yeah. right? Yeah. So if we look in terms of the internal organs, so those are those are likely a higher priority than skeletal muscle, and then that becomes a higher priority than skin and coat. So when we start looking at 
you know, let's just say some dietary deficiencies, the first place we may see it showing up is in that sort of dry, dull skin yeah. or, or high degree of flaking. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and it doesn't necessarily mean that it's the amino acid. It could be, it could be out of the, the fatty acids from the, from the lipids, or it could be a mineral or, or vitamin, because all, all of these nutrients are really important when it comes to the function of the body. And we're only as good as the, the first limiting nutrient. And once, once we sort of ex- start exceeding the, limiting, the first limiting nutrient, then, then the efficiency of that uh, animal's performance is starting to come down. And eventually it snowballs and we, we start seeing failures. Yikes. Let's hope we don't get to that right. point. That's Russ Kelly. He's with Yukonuba. You know, if we want to learn more about this, you probably have a lot of stuff at your website. We do, yeah. It, what it, what you, is the you, website address? Yukonubasportingdog.com. Yukonubasportingdog.com. I'm Scott Linden. This is the Upland Nation podcast. From the floor of the Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic, yeah, it's still crowded. Yeah. Scott, I, I, you know, I, before we stop, I want to thank you for all you do in terms of, of, of inform, informing people on the, on the wonderful aspects of the upland dogs they're Thank they're you. great uh they are i'm in love with them and so are so is everybody yeah, here yeah, thanks Russ. i appreciate yeah, that yeah, absolutely and thanks for being part of the upland nation no, podcast. my pleasure my pleasure always learning here at the upland nation podcast that's my goal and i hope you appreciate it as much as i appreciate all the wonderful experts who have been willing to join us at pheasant fest and the quail classic We've still got that cerebral challenge that I'd like to pose for you and your dogs uh, during the, you know, I can't call it the off-season, the off part of the day. Yeah, when the sun goes down or there's too much snow on the ground. But first off, let me remind you that we're brought to you in part by TrueLockChokes.com. Even if you didn't get to the National Wild Turkey Federation convention and get some of the discounts there, there's always something else for you at TrueLock chokes.com free shipping if you order over 119.99 and a free choke tube case if you spend a hundred bucks so lots of freebies lots of great information check it all out at truelockchokes.com and if you want to improve your shooting even more then you might consider taking a class or a lesson at mid valley clays and shooting school if you're in western oregon passing through as spring and summer approach you might consider going to midvalleyclays.com and scheduling a lesson for yourself or just taking a look at the long long line of shotguns they have for sale there you can start at midvalleyclays.com click on the shotgun tab then scroll down and click on the online store. Handle it. Oh, you know, this whole barbed wire thing has brought to the fore some uh, more ways that I can try, do my best, to, to train Flick a little bit more often during the day. And for most of us, that means after... Uh, dinner or after the happy hour or you know sometime when it's dark or cold or snowy uh, so it's probably going to be indoors but 
there's some real joy to that as well. You know, your dog needs physical conditioning and we got to get our dogs in shape, of course. But there's that mental side of things as well. And we can help that dog grow and expand his horizons, as it were, while we're giving them some mental stimulation, some challenges, even in the house. You know, everything from we're working again now on steadiness. So that W-H-O-A word that we use a lot outside, we can use indoors as well. I'm trying to stop him in his tracks when he's walking down the hall or when he's eyeballing the cats and he wants to go play with them. You know, we, we all get along well. One of the cats actually thinks he's a dog, but that's another story. So... I'm working on woe in the house. I'm working on a little bit of retrieving and search. You know, we're not going to make anything that challenging in those worlds, except it's something else to do later in the day when you can't do anything else. Think about it. Recall, walking at heel. It's not about mastery. It's just another session per day for you and the dog to bond, maybe polish up a skill or two, but mainly just to say, listen, buddy, after you fill your belly and I fill mine, we're still going to work on the conditioning of our head just a little bit more. Think about it. Even if it's during a commercial break on a TV show that you like, or, or worse yet, that you dislike. Challenge your dog a little bit at night as well. And that is our cue to say goodbye. I sure appreciate your paying attention. Thanks, Russ Kelly, for being a part of the uh, Upland Nation podcast this week. Thank you if you stopped by and said hello at Pheasant Fest and the Quail Classic. And all of you who comment at the social platforms, learn something every time I open up that page. If you left a rating or review, I appreciate it. That's how we grow one person at a time. Tell a friend, uh, suggest, or send a link or something like that, and we'll have one more friend join in the discussion. We're made possible thanks to the uh, contributions and investments of Sage and Breaker Gun Care products, Pointer Shotguns, Mid-Valley Clays, and Trulock Choke Tubes. And if you'd like to learn more about that new public access webinar, then just go to findbirdhuntingspots.com. It'll pop right up and you'll be able to get all the information you need. That's all the information I have for today. Thanks again for listening. Until I see you at the range or at a training day, I'll see you right here. Thanks for listening. I'm Scott Linden. This is the Upland Nation Podcast.